On this episode of AV Week, we talk about a new projector that's entered into the space, talk about whether or not we need a new projector in the AV world, learning from architects what we can learn from the architecture community, and finding what you're good at and staying focused on all that and more. Next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Extron Electronics. This is AV Week. Episode 276, recorded Friday, December 9th, 2016. Office Revolution. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this fine podcast. Thank you so much for doing so. With us this week to talk about all the latest news and information, first and foremost, my compatriot, the left-hand side of my brain, and a very swell human being. His name is George Tucker. How are you, sir? All right. I was wondering who you were going to describe. Well, you know. <laughs> you doing well? Yeah, I've got a cold. Still fighting it off. Nah. Uh, George was uh, George was at the the uh, Crestron slash Sapphire uh, holiday party last night. He's gonna be cutting that up and and posting that on our, on our page. Yeah, so good. hey, uh, I had Mar- had dinner with Marla last week. Actually. Oh, very good, very good. We had we had, we had some drinks. So. Well, that that voice. If you're listening to the podcast, the video is is here. His name is Paul Depperschmidt, old friend from Cisco. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and last but not least, a brand newbie. So you two gentlemen, be nice to him. His name is also Paul. Paul Dexter is from JetBuilt. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you for having me. Very good. And I missed Paul, but uh, I found out today that he was at his AVEC doing one of the Homework Express um, classes at, uh, at the AV Executive Conference this year in, in Miami. So um, heard really good things yeah. about that. Well, thank you for saying that. It was a pleasure to, to be there, a pleasure to be able to volunteer at the event. It's a great event. Yeah, it's a really great event, and it's it's one of those that I, I look forward to. Uh, end of the year, it's it's more business than AV, um, which is also something that I like a lot. Uh, as somebody who runs a small business, I, I always like learning things from really smart folks. So, <laughs> All right, let's get this party started. Um, first up and foremost, we're going to talk about a couple different things. Um, but the first thing was, was an interesting one that came out uh, from our friends over at uh, AV Interactive. Um, a, a new projector company is on the map, and uh, it's a company called Norse. Uh, it's spelled N-O-R-X-E, but you pronounce it Norse. Um, it's from Norway, and it's a, a group of individuals who are former executives of um, the company Projection Design. Projection Design uh, was purchased from, uh, from Barco or by Barco a, a couple of years ago. Um, assuming that there was some sort of, of you know, um, NDA and you had to stay with the company for a certain amount of time, they did that, and now they've started this new company. They have one product. They released it at a trade show called IITSEC, which George stands for what again? Oh, gosh. Now you're going to make me... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll have him. No, I got it. He had it. Uh, inter- inter-service Industry Training Simulation and Education Conference. Okay. Got that? IITSEC. Let's just do that. Um 
the product is called the P1 series. Uh, they're labeling it as a 4,000 lumens plus projector, solid state, and next-gen quote-unquote LED illumination technology. Now, everything aside, and, and um, regardless of um, what uh, the actual product is itself, and we'll get to that in a second, um, Mr. Tucker, I'm going to start with you on this. Why do we need uh, another projector in this market? Do we and don't we? It's I'm, I'm wavering on this question. Okay. Uh, when I first read it, and, and I knew that this was going to be one of the things you were going to ask. If it's for a highly specialized market and or use, a new projector could be a good thing. And I think that goes along with what they were showing the projector at this this conference for modeling VR, medical, very high resolution, very rugged environment needs. You know, because the medical operating room or medical operating theater is not a very um, gentle atmosphere for a lot of these things. Uh, the fact that they're going to have what they call true solid state, no moving parts, that kind of thing, uh, automatically made me think about my time filming sur surgeries or joint replacements back in the uh, 90s. You need, you know, biomass impervious, I say that, biomass impervious systems, something that doesn't have a lot of moving parts that'll collect dust or other things. Uh, so yes, when you're doing dealing with a very specialized market, I guess, a specific product would work really well new not going with anyone else i will it work that'd have to really be dramatic i guess for me to see any any kind of movement but they seem to have a lot of press on it although there's nothing on the site it's a picture some lovely artsy pictures of the projector standing in hangers <laughs> but, well yeah, yeah and the uh george mentioned the the site there's also nothing about when it ships or or how much it is those are other two, two not keys. even a spec sheet yeah not even a spec sheet um Mr. Depperschmidt, um, from your standpoint and, and just looking at the industry in general, because you've been you've been around a while, how do you how do you bust into this market? And understand what I say when I say this market. This is a market projectors that people have written about for years about being commoditized, right? Where margins are going down, prices are going down. Um, how do you get into that market? It's already crowded. I, yeah, I think you just heard it. I, it's, a, it's a specialized thing. I, if, I, if it were me doing it, I, I'd sure look for a niche that I could fill and that, that uh, really found a, a home. I, I was just looking for it just a minute ago. I, I was part of a uh, survey uh, or some kind of study that was uh, about projectors okay. uh, from a projector company and uh, just had the results. I just read it like two weeks ago, and I can't find it. I don't know where I put it. Uh, but it, it wasn't a pretty picture uh, for projectors. It was uh, it was clearly the percentages were way off on, on the projectors and displays coming way up. So to get into that business takes uh, takes some guts. I mean, to start from nothing right now, I'd say you're really you're really taking the risk. Uh, better find a really good spot. Well, I think that's part of it too. Is that they must think that they have something great, right, and and unique and special. Um, one of the guys that helps me with with our business is is, is constantly drilling in my head. You know, what is your uh, unique selling proposition, right? What is your unique position in in the marketplace? And according to you know their press release and according to the press they got at at the trade show, they're kind of specializing, like like Mr. Tucker said, on both simulation as well as 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 medical theater. Um, Paul Dexter, you know when you when you're bringing stuff like this. And you're talking to you know dealers, and you're talking to to folks. How do you differentiate yourself yourself 
from you know from the pack yeah well well you're asking me specifically maybe referring to how i would do it with my own thing but i'll tell you what with 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 this i love yeah the space you know the medical and, and the and the vr is one thing but how uh emphasizing the led and the and the and the no moving parts i think that is that's their i think the biggest opportunity because and i'm no expert in, in projections uh that's that's for sure but i do know that that everything uh high power is laser now and if they can be the leaders in let's 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 build the units that you know disney throws on on uh, on for uh, for environmental uh, uh architectural projection and do it with with leds no moving parts uh i think there's a there's a win there uh, but I, and I believe LED has the power to do that. I think everybody went so fast to to uh, to laser in the way that everybody went so fast to gasoline when they were playing with electric cars 100 years ago because it was easier and faster and simpler. I think there's opportunity with LED to do that. All right, very good. Not being an expert, but that's no, 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 no. You're you're making a really great, great point. It's something that you know. I remember 10 years ago when we still had the the projection shootouts at Infocom. Um, oh yeah. And that was one of the things is is they were just starting to talk about laser, just starting to talk about LED. Um, nobody really had great specs back then. You couldn't really you couldn't test uh, quote unquote lumens for those for those uh, technologies. Now they've gotten to the point where where they can at least get somewhat close and say that it's four thousand lumens like you know and in that. Yeah. You know, one one of the concerns I have though is that they sell it's they say it's all LED, which doesn't always. I mean, maybe I haven't paid enough attention to LED technology at the moment, but weren't they still having trouble getting above 3,000 lumen for many, many years? And the attraction, I guess, of laser was that it could go way beyond. It just was the green lasers that were really much too expensive to produce. I'm just always me curious. Well, and some of the issues that they've had, and not to hark on one of my favorite subjects, is the is OLED, right? Is OLED, and it's not just um, getting the green, not just getting the... the um, LEDs to produce, it's getting the consistency of color in the OLEDs. Um, right. That's something that they've also had some issues with, um, specifically talking about OLEDs, not net LED um, consistency in the color, but but OLEDs are having some issues with getting consistency. So, mm-hmm. which may be why, you know, I still haven't gotten an LED or an OLED projector or display. <laughs> All right, um, I'm still learning Zoom here, guys. So hang on for a second. For that next story is. All about ISE. Uh, we'll be heading there in about two months' time. Um, it's in Amsterdam, Inter- Integrated Systems Europe. One of the things that uh, that they do really, really well is um, not just the, the combination of, of residential and commercial AV, but also a lot of the speakers that they bring in are really good. Last year they had uh, Dr. Mikio Kaku, uh, that Mr. Tucker and I got to, to interview um, beforehand talking about technology and future casting in general. This year they're, they're taking a little bit different approach. They're bringing in a gentleman um, by the name of, of Ole Shireen. Uh, and Ole is a uh, architect. He's an award-winning architect. If you go to his Wikipedia page, uh, I believe he has an award for every year for the last 10 years. So, not too shabby, right? Um, the one thing I, w- I want to tackle here, and, and, and Mr. Debersman, we'll, talk, we'll start with you on this. You do you deal a lot with with connecting businesses and and, and you know ar- not just architects and specifically but but integrators and, and and helping them you know get up and running in IT. What can we learn, not just from this gentleman here, but from the architecture company or the architecture industry in general yeah. that we can apply to AV? 
Well, I, I'll look at it from a, maybe a little different than what you were asking for, which was uh, we have some people on our team that are focused in on the facilities workplace transformation. And, and the, the idea that the way that these buildings are built are going to change based on the way people work. Uh, so I, I've got a few stats here from like 22 billion dollars, uh, 22 billion square feet of office real estate worldwide, you know, that, that you're looking at working and probably changing. And it's uh, the cost, uh, you know, per employee and everything is really interesting. like 15 billion connected devices to two network per capita connected 2 billion people and machines. Uh, this is where we're headed. And I think the architects are looking at it from a standpoint of how can you get the most for your, you know, return on your investment, I guess you would say, for building these new buildings and, and outfitting these new spaces based on how people are going to work. And we see a lot more uh, that the, the agile teams, so the way that people are going to be kind of spread all over the place, but, but still work together. And it's not the cubicle-based structure that we've had in the past. Much more freewheeling, and you've got to build buildings based on that. Um, so, and that's where I would start. If there's some other things I could say, uh, you know, our relationships with Apple, for instance, and what we're doing with the networks to allow people to kind of use the networks for their phones and be able to to instantly kind of set up to the network, are all things to consider, you know, as, as you move forward. So. There's a lot going on in it. It's, uh, I have one of the guys on our team was saying it's it's the biggest revolution in the office space in, since the 60s. Why uh, is that? You know, you see a massive change. Uh, it just mainly because of the way people work, um, distributed workplace, you know, the, the flexibility that, that we're looking for now in these workspaces. And, you know, this let's work-life balance, trying to retain talent you know, the, especially the, the younger talent and, and trying to give them a facility that, that they like. Uh, so the idea is that they're, they're going to do massive changes in, in how we use offices. We're starting to see it in, in a lot of our offices. Some of them are still kind of the same. You know, you walk in and there's just cubicle after cubicle. Yeah. But you're starting to see uh, a lot of the open space ideas. And no one has an actual office, you know. And so you go in and kind of just use a space for a little while. And you got to think about that from, you know, from an AV perspective, from a network perspective and, and all that. How do I keep people productive and not have them locked down to a spot? And that's some of the, the um, not, to, not to overly use a, a, a buzz term, but it's of the flex spaces, right? Uh, the right. flex rooms. Um, huddle spaces, I think a couple of years ago is, is when we started huddle talking spaces. about that, where <laughs> it's not a dedicated space necessarily for X, Y, or Z. It's a place where people can go like Paul said, use for a few minutes and then, you know, move on, you know, move on with their workday. Mr. Dexter, um, from your standpoint then, um, how do we take, you know, what, what, you know, Mr. Depperschmidt was talking about with, with this, this office revolution and help our integrators not just talk the talk with, with their clients, but help them solve some of these problems? Well, uh, yeah, I had a whole bit done outside of that, um, more on this architect, uh, Open, you know, the uh, the architect interaction within the AV community. Yeah. So to your exact question, I think I'm less prepared. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I just, I think, I think, let me try to bridge the two. Yeah. I think that, that uh, AV integrators have, have, uh, they're, they're so, uh, so many, in so many ways, they're so technical and they, they need to work with the architect. They need to work with the general contractors and engineers, but they, 
they don't embrace working with the architects as much as I believe they should. Uh, and I'm talking uh, in both ways, both aesthetically, because I feel in 2016, I see too many things bolted on uh, after the fact when that should never be the case, you know? Uh, nothing inside of a car is bolted on. It's completely integrated now um, to such a degree that you can't even change your car stereo anymore. But, but, uh, but I think there's great value there. And I think that uh, that's, that's aesthetically. And then, of course, on the technology side, the same should apply. Uh, there could be far more deeper integration from our systems into the buildings uh, if we engage further. And I will say this, with my years of integrating, uh, I, I can, I can I, well, I cannot count uh, on, on two hands or on, on a, a handful of hands, the, the, the projects that I won based on my interaction with the architect early. Because, and, and again, part of it is because my love for architecture and I aspired to be an architect you know, during my high school years, uh, architect or rock star, and I couldn't decide which, so I jumped into <laughs> rock star, which, which blew a lot of years of my life. But, uh, um, but I, liked it, I loved it so much that that's how I got you know, a lot of my, my, early, my early AV gigs were like for uh, Hills. Hillstone, uh, Hillstone Group, uh, uh, Houston's restaurants, they're so architecturally, uh, architecturally designed that, that I won those, those systems because of the, the integration, you know, highlighting our systems where they should be highlighted, hiding them when they should be hidden. And uh, I just think there's great value there. I love, I love this. Well, and, and just to take off on what you said, because that, that's a huge point. Um, there's a, when I was, when I was an integrator, when I was working with, uh, with, I uh, ran uh, programming house for uh, a few years. One of the things that we tried to do was we tried to get in, like you said, with with the architect early on. We did uh, AIA classes. Um, it's one thing that that the AIA, when the that's the institute, that's the Infocom version of, of architects. They have where they have to they have to renew their their version of their CTS every right. year, right? They have to get so many points every year, and so we would provide education. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was education selling basically, where you would go in, you would say, you know, here's here's renewal credits for for your AIA, uh, and then you start a conversation that way. Um, Paul Dexter, from your standpoint, how do you do that? How did you specifically get involved with with architects early on? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, and I wasn't, you know, my, my years, I wasn't doing a lot of open bids and, and you know, I was, it was almost all commercial, but it, it was a lot of mega churches and a lot of uh, uh, restaurant groups because I had both of those, you know, perpetuate from Hillstone Group to, and from a mega church that kind of perpetuated those two avenues for me. So every time I would be approached by, uh, usually by a client, not by, by a, a builder, um, I would I would then get a set of drawings. I see who's the architect, and I just start calling them. I just start communicating, and and uh, uh, because I knew that there's so much has been missed, you know, especially in those two fields. Because uh, house of worship, even on the big scale, it's not done the way uh, you know theme parks and airports and everything else is that's it, it, really being done properly. We would all probably say, in the sense of a true architectural consultant you know, or AV consultant designing the systems. A lot of times it's left for we'll deal with tech later while well, I try to then nestle myself in and, and essentially become that consultant role. And then by the time you talk to a handful of other people, I, I, it's too late. I'm already the consultant. I got to kind of do the gig. So yeah. uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a hack strategy. It was just came out of my passion, but it became, it became a hack strategy later. Uh, so yeah, I just literally would, would, would hack my way into the architect and just start calling and emailing them, uh, praising them for their work. Cause usually I'd be like blown away by the building. I, I can't wait to work on this project. 
and, and, and what a beautiful, I, I mean, this, this literally just happened two weeks ago as I'm spinning off my AV company, I still get calls and I'm talking to this architect in, in, in uh, Colorado Springs going, this is the most beautiful church I, I've seen. Yeah, and, uh, and so uh, next thing I know, I've got this gig I wasn't even looking for uh, because I, because I, uh, I, I bloated up the architect. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, all right, Mr. Tucker, let's wrap all this thing up. One thing about architecture, they do, uh, Paul mentioned that there's uh, a fair amount of te- technical, but there's also a fair amount of art to architecture, right? Um, how do we get these folks together? You know, you, you've got engineers, and I love my engineer friends, but they're awfully technical, right? And so they're, they're, not, so, they're not so artsy. Uh, so how do we get these two groups together? Well, that's part of my argument, as I've wrote, written about a lot, is about vocational education is one thing, but having a general liberal arts education actually helps all of this because you yeah, understand yeah. these things. But I mean, let's take a step back for one second. What are the architects doing that we're also doing? We're not just remote control. We're environmental control, whether that's just audio or it's the visual, but we're, we're now into lighting and shades and thermostats. And all of that works with what the architects need to do in these modern buildings. Uh, as was mentioned previously, that it's about non-offices. It's about moving through the day. It's about circadian rhythms. It's about bioluminescence. It's about the things that ResiWeek has been covering in the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. We are really part of that complete environmental control. And in that, we have to work with the architect and know a little bit about what they need. It's beyond, I think, just the art or we can't have bumps on the walls for the Wi-Fi or other objects. It's, it's really about making that space, especially on the commercial side, work to a work day. Whether you're in the Northeast and it gets dark early and you need to keep that level of blue light or you know, whatever that, that warm temperature, that light temperature you need to have all day long, uh, it, it really does matter. We just did a show on Lightcast with these guys who do bioluminescence, circadian rhythm systems in lighting that changes throughout the day and actually measures the average uh, light and the, uh, the, I can't think of this to say it, the, um, the light temperature throughout the day and what you need of each light temperature throughout your day to be most productive. So that's what we're in. And it really does come down to that sort of... We I'm need- sorry, how do you do that? What? The, the measure the how much light you need throughout the day. They've done studies. They, okay. they, they're quoting sort of these uh, large treaties and, and doctorate uh, papers on what kind of light at what time of day do we need since we're indoors most of the time, but we evolved to be with the luminescence of the sun, obviously, and that's a certain temperature, warmth, color. You know, and that temperature changes throughout the day, obviously. because Yeah. Of the... yeah. Wow. And that's, that does with circadian rhythms and, and things like that. Again, I, I advise people to go back and look at some of the last four or five episodes of Lightcast where they're talking to people about this kind of stuff. It's really the big deal in lighting and in architecture. And, and not, not to, to, to make too fun of a point of it, because understand I'm an old programmer. How you do that, kids, is through programming and it's, automation. It's, <laughs> you yep. still need a programmer you know for that. Uh, what I think was brought up before, though, I think these are all good things, but if you're not in there in the front end, that that's the big trick. You know, if you can't get in there when they're making, they're having these discussions, you know, you're behind the bus. And, and so part of what I was leaning towards with our facilities uh, change and and the way that those are, that's how we're doing it at Cisco because we have to stay in front of that, you know, and you can't kind of be waiting until everything's done and then try to figure out how to get involved. Uh, So you get involved in it by, I think you, you know, you were just mentioning ago, you, you appeal to what they're interested in. 
and not necessarily what we think is the most important. And we kind of strut in there and say, you got to do it this way. Uh, you kind of, you, you lure them in with things that they're going to have interest in, like the lighting, uh, like the room layouts, like the huddle room type things and how people are going to use it and help them with facilities discussions, you know, and come in there and really kind of talk their talk. And they'll end up pulling you in a little earlier, I think, to, to the whole process. So we do that a lot with customers, uh, you know, in the very early days. And, and so they have facilities management that is in their job is to, you know, we have a new building being built. Uh, we're going to design it and you get in there in the very front end. That's the hard part, but that's the important part. Well, it also comes down to a little bit of, of, of biz dev, um, Paul, because as, as a manufacturer or as an integrator, getting in on the front end is, is incredibly important because you're right. You start having those conversations and you start crea- producing value and, and bringing value to that client. They may not have a project right here today, but they'll have one in a month or they'll have one in two months. And I say, you know what, Paul, Paul was talking to me about this. Let me, let me give him a call and see what he has to say. Yeah. And partnering helps as well. So a lot of times a, a small AV company has got their work cut out getting in the front end of that discussion. They're just, you know, they're pushed down in the stack so far. And we have a lot of our AV integrators now that are kind of working with larger, uh, what would you call a data var type, yeah. type companies. And so they, they be, are brought in to those discussions because of the relationship the data bar might have. Um, which is kind of, it's a whole other discussion. We could have a day's talking about that, but the way that that whole market has changed, the way it's, uh, it's kind of settled itself out. It's really interesting to watch, but they've, they've created these relationships where the person who is in the front end is pulling in an AV integrator and saying they need to be at the table with me uh, to have these discussions. Yeah, and ha- having those partnerships, you're right, having those partnerships and the people who, who recognize the value of that is, in- is incredibly important. Um, right. Yeah, all right. A lot of that's happening. Uh, last story here before I let you guys get out of here. Um, this comes to us from our old friend uh, Tom LeBlanc from Commercial Integrator. Uh, Paul, it, 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 our, our, Tom interviewed a lot, a lot of different folks. Um, one of them was Chuck Wilson, and, and Chuck says in the piece that uh, the integrators today uh, need to be great at one or two things and stay focused on those things to be successful. Uh, Tom's writing about a bunch of different things, a lot of merger, mergers and acquisitions that happened this year. Um, Diversified picked up a company. Um, AVISPL was purchased by a uh, an investment firm and has turned around the last week or so and purchased another integrator out in California, which um, Paul's way, uh, Paul Dexter's way. So I want to ask you guys specifically, um, and, and Mr. Dexter, we'll start with you on this. How do you figure out what you're good at? And you mentioned the fact that you you kind of focused on um, restaurants and, and house of worship. How do you get to that point where you where you're like, okay, th- this is my one or two things that I can focus on? Well, yeah, that's 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 tricky. And and uh, I, I think after the uh, the great uh, recession, uh, we all you know when so many commercial guys got into residential, so many residential guys got into commercial because yeah. they're just trying to pay the bills, you know. And they most of these, most of these companies. I failed at this, uh, you know, clearly I, when I dabbled in residential, it's a disaster, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I'm mostly just helping my buddies, you know, who I, who, you know, with their home system, but, but I, uh, it, 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 it's, it's so different as we all know. And, and, uh, it's so tough to get right when you jump, when you jump lanes. And, uh, so I don't know that you have to, to, uh, go out and explore what you're good at though. I think that is where you started. You know, I, th- I think the bigger problem is how do you not 
think that the grass is greener by getting in, you know, to this other area or by getting into, you know, shades and, 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 uh, and architectural lighting and so many things because, and, it, and it's, it's extremely tempting because w when you have more and more clients saying, hey, can you do this? Continuing saying no all the time just seems so counterproductive to growth and it, it's so difficult. Uh, but yet, uh, you know, those of us, especially, uh, you know, in, in the startup world, uh, you need to immerse yourself in, in stories of things that win and lose. Well, in all of business you do, but, but as I'm starting JetBuilt these last couple of years, I've had to really uh, go to the woodshed uh, for, the, for this area, you know, in software versus in AV integrating for so many years. And, uh, and learning that it's, it's just one of the biggest disciplines on, the, on, on earth is to stay focused. And I think it's, it, it, not that it's any harder in our area than it is for, for AV integrators, but I, uh, I think it's where you started, unless you, you, you're so bad at it, you started, but you just kept accidentally getting it barely right that maybe you should jump into something you're stronger in, but I don't think that's, that's going to be the case. Uh, so that's answering your question. I think overall, though, the concept of growing just to grow always frustrated me, it, you know, it, especially with integrators. It's one thing when you've got these corporations pushed by, by stakeholders, shareholders, that just simply require it. at all costs, go buy someone, go do something, you got to grow. I get that. It's it's a it's a it's a problem of the beast. But when you're an integrator, whether you're you're, you're a small shop or you've got 20, 30, you know, people on your team and you're doing great, I feel there, there's it's sad that not enough pride is left in in staying great at that and making making good money, serving your clients well, and, and being great at that without needing to get another thirty percent the next year. Okay, uh, Mr. Tucker, we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave the buy uh, people up uh, from from Mr. Depperschmidt. Uh, <laughs> Cisco's, Cisco's done that once or twice. Um, uh, George, can, can somebody be great at, at several things? And, and the reason I ask is because there's an old adage, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Can somebody be a master of of all different aspects of AV? Well, yes and no, and it's going to be that kind of tempered question uh, answer, I suppose. <clears throat> I'll differ from, from Paul in a little bit because, yes, you should stick to something that you know well and be able to be focused on that as a main sales item. But as we just discussed before about the architects and about that whole new world, if you don't know how to do it and you can't take the time to learn it, then you need to bring in partners who do. And that's how you can grow in that side of it. And But then again comes that competition of, am I bringing in my competitor who knows a little bit more about two things I need to know and, and where does that lead? Uh, for a small company, yes. I mean, I work for a small company and we do lighting and we do the HVAC and we do the data and we do the, uh, the audio and the video portions of it. Uh, we do it fairly well, I would say. Uh, but it took a lot of effort on the principal's parts to learn it and then hand that down to the guys who are actually installing it. So they take a lot of the focus of those guys are your masters of many technologies and they can uh, implement those. The next step is, do you get into and selling the fixtures and, the, and all that kind of stuff? There is that need to grow your company in those directions because that's what your clients want. And if you're not going to provide it, someone else will. So it's a tight balance of being able to say, yes, I will do this, but I really do have to commit a serious amount of time to becoming a master of it. All right. All right, Mr. Debersmith, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ask any difficult questions about acquiring people. Cisco is a publicly <laughs> held company, and I have no desire to have a, a call from the SEC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just haven't acquired who you want them to acquire. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think I can actually bring something to this. Actually, uh, you bring up the example of, uh, of uh, the guys at um, 
technical innovations, which was technical industries way back when. I was I was actually VP of sales at technical industries okay. wow. many, many years ago. And one of the things that we had to do during my time was we kind of had to fire customers because we had gotten to the point where we had all these salespeople out that were bringing in deals. And it was over it was overstripping our ability to for the the integration part of the business to get the job done right. And we, you know, we finally realized that, you know, we, we can do you know, all of these poorly or we can do these really well. And so we ended up having to say, we just can't take these jobs like this. We just don't have the capacity to do it. And so we actually consciously went through that process. And, and the growth is not just for growth's sake. You have to grow where you can manage it. I mean, it's, it was really difficult. And it was re really hard to tell salespeople. We had to let some salespeople go. I was going to say, and how, how difficult is that conversation yeah. with the client to say, I, uh, I'm sorry, well, yeah, I can't help you? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was the kind of things that, you know, that they were, they were just constantly beating on you for whatever reason, you know, and, and it was just, you, you could never keep them happy. And, and it was just, you know what, you need to find somebody that kind of, works more the way you want to work and we had people that were willing to pay the money for what we did well and focus in on them so the, the real thing that we were starting to see was those companies that were willing to to work with us really the way we're starting to get mad because we were getting pulled off and doing all these other little jobs yeah. and so you know which ones do you give up it was a pretty easy call for us you know to say we're we're going to stick with the people over here that are really sticking with us so mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a tough thing. The other thing I would uh, mention is I, I think I've seen that AV is the niche. So uh, I wouldn't go as much as to say, you know, that you, you have to find uh, one part of AV. I mean, in, in the world that I'm in, you start to see a, a lot more to it. And what's happened, uh, we alluded to it just a little while ago, was that the AV integrators have become subs to these larger data bars who are doing phones and doing networks and doing you know, all these, these other massive things inside of an enterprise or an organization, and they're bringing in these AV integrators to do what they do best. And what I'm finding is in the, in the years past, we expected these data bars to build their own AV practice internally, and that has not happened. I mean, what we're starting to see is those who did backed off. You know, they realized it's like, you know what, that's not really our world. And so I've got this great relationship uh, with some of the, the a lot of these AV players out there uh, that I can bring them in. And I think it was something about competitive came up just a minute ago. It's like everybody got to play nice here. The first time that I bring you into a deal and then you jump around me, that'll be the last time. Yeah. And so, you know, that all of those roads are very clear before, before you start, but it's been working out really well for the last few years. I'm seeing some really, really strong relationships Good. with the AV interviewers and they love it. I mean, they're brought into the deals much earlier. They're brought into the table to talk to these architects and designers way earlier than they ever would have been in the, in the AV space. So it's, and it developed on its own. It's not like somebody went out and I wish I could take credit for organizing all that, but it was almost symbiotic. It almost just kind of worked. Because um, they, because the, the data bars had a need, they, they yeah. had a, a expertise that could fill it. Yeah. And what was weird was, you could see, you know, I think, I, yeah, I think I can tell this. You know, effectively, all of our sales that used to go to the AV integrators for the video conferencing codecs and things started to go through these big data bars. And the data bar, it, and it was kind of a simple thing when you think about it. The customer would just say, you know, I buy all of my Cisco stuff from X. Yeah. And they don't even care what it is. I mean, they wouldn't know a box if it fell, hit them on the head. 
but they would say, we buy all of our Cisco things from these guys. And so the, the integrators were starting to lose that sale. But then the data vars who were getting the sale said, I don't know how to do this. And so can you essentially hook me up with some of these guys who can do this work? So years ago, I actually helped create some of the relationships that are still going now. That's awesome. And, and it's, again, everybody's happy. Yeah. You know, it seems like everybody's okay with that. But it, the AV is the niche in that case. Okay. And they don't look at it from a standpoint of what part of AV, you know, to, to the rest of the data of our world, it's AV. Right. AV is AV. Well, yeah. all right, guys, that that, that's, uh, that's going to do us. Uh, uh, Mr. Tucker, thank you, sir. Thank you. Good. Always good to be on. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tucker Tuesday. I write for several technical trade journal journals, <laughs> say that properly, and here at AV Nation. All right. Very good. Mr. Depperschmidt, always good to see you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, if anybody wants to send me something, I'm at, at pdeppers at cisco.com. Right. Reach me there. All right. And you'll uh, you'll see uh, Mr. Depper Schmidt's uh, bright and shining face at ISE. Uh, the, Amsterdam. Of, Gotta love it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Mr. Dexter, thank you so much, sir. Yes. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And I hope I was uh, of some value to you guys. And it was a great conversation. Absolutely. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, of course, it's paul at jetbuilt.com. And I will also see you guys at uh, ISE. All right, very good, very good. Are you guys exhibiting, or are you just going over to, to hang out? Yeah, we're uh, both exhibiting, and then we do a little uh, do a little uh, happy hour event, which is kind of fun, and uh, second annual this time, and uh, uh, and a lot of other things, uh, a lot of meetings, of course. But uh, yeah, we're showing. All right, very good. Uh, all right, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me. Uh, go by the website if you would, please, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Mr. Tucker was nice enough to mention a couple of those. Resi Week, which is our, our, our residential uh, AV show. Basically, it's this show only covering the, the residential uh, news and information. We've got Lightcast. We've got a, a new uh, social media uh, episode of, of our AV social that came out, um, EdTech, State of Control. Also have our first annual AV Nation Awards. Uh, the voting process is up and running, so take a look at that. Uh, it's on the it's on the front page, upper right hand corner. Click on it. Let us know what you think. Um, there's things like you know the, be- the most innovative product of the year, um, the best educator of the year. This all came from our listeners and our viewers. They gave us the people to put up there. We tabulated it and said who was the most nominated, and that's the result right there. So, avianation.tv, avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week. <laughs>